It's 12 noon on a Wednesday, and you know what that means. It's time for Pastor Mike Drop Live, our humble little podcast. As you can see from our makeshift basement studio down here at Lutheran Church of Hope. So that's what it looks like coming in, and now now you've seen it. Uh, Emily, we have some great, great pastors. Uh, We have a brilliant panel. We're going to dive into some good texts. Yes, with us today, Pastor Richard Webb. Hi, Richard. Hi there. Welcome back. It's good to be it's back. It's been a few times now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's always good to have the good doctor back. Yes. Well, welcome back, Dr. Webb. And our men's minister, Chris Kimston. Hi, Thanks Chris. for having me. Also, welcome back. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of brilliance, welcome back, Chris. <laughs> Man, it's a we, good sign they're coming back. We, it is. <laughs> <laughs> That is, uh, yeah. You know, I never thought of it quite that way, but yeah, everybody says yes yeah. when we invite them, so that's always a good sign. It is. Well, you know, without further ado, I know people are hungry for this. Uh, we let people know a little bit on social media what we're going to be talking about today. There's a lot of buzz. Um, there's a lot of people reading these texts, and a lot of questions are bubbling up. So, a little help from Ted Lasso. Let's get into it. Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Oh okay. yeah, no, sure saw that coming. What have you learned and what has surprised or inspired you so far this year as you read through the whole Holy Bible in a year with your church family? Yeah, if you're new to this podcast, what we're doing as a church and what we're inviting others to do, whatever church you go to, is read through the whole Holy Bible together um, as a church family this year. And it has been um, nothing short of transformational, I think, for our church. It's the best thing we've ever done. And I don't say that lightly. It is... It is opening uh, minds. It is uh, creating and strengthening faith. Uh, I can't go anywhere. I, I go to a grocery store or I walk around the mall or, or I'm at a game or something and somebody will come up and say, man, this, this Bible reading stuff we're doing is, is just been it. It has made me so much stronger in my faith with God. And, mm. you know, in, in addition to that, what I've just personally discovered in my own reading, so I don't want to just talk about us, but to let people know, you don't get to the point where you master this stuff, or you don't get to the mm-hmm. point where God's word isn't still living and new, and it always reads new. So I watched one of my all-time favorite movies again on uh, on TV this last week called Inception, mm, which I just so love. Good. It's it's a Christopher Nolan movie. I love all almost all his movies. So many levels. I mean, literally, so many levels of dreams, and it mm. goes so deep, and and you go on this adventure, and it was kind of fun to watch it again. Yeah. But it wasn't nearly the same as the first time I watched it in the theater where I literally sweat through my shirt. It was so intense <laughs> yeah. for me. Reading the Bible though, I you know, it's not like I don't know where these stories are going. I've I, I I've read the ending, you know, I yeah. I, I, I know yeah. what happens, but it's still alive, it's still new, it's still it's still, as the cool kids say, it still hits different every time. You know, it, it still mm-hmm. it still comes to us and yeah. it is inspiring. It is faith building for me. It has strengthened my own faith again this year. How about you guys? And a couple of things. Um, one of the things that surprised me, and I've said it several times, but is listening actually creates a more precise kind of immersion in the scripture than because often when I hear... Because you're listening to the... the yeah. We have the audio version yeah. podcast that's mm-hmm. out there too. Yeah. So yeah. our daily readings... You can pick those up on a on a little um, bookmark, uh, or you can find them online at hopewdm.org. But it's also available via audio. So we have our studio crew who's reading through the whole Holy Bible for us. Mm-hmm. So we can just tune in while you're taking a walk, driving your car, or whatever. And, and, and that's blown me away because there's spots where normally I would have just glossed, and I'm actually listening. So that's one. The other is 
uh, five of the driest books in the Bible have suddenly become my favorite, and that is Genesis through Deuteronomy. Huh. Who knew? Yeah. You know, and, and so now I'm doing this big deep dive in those, and, and that's kind of the place where I had the least, um, you know, the least knowledge. And, and probably the least passion for it before, but now oh, yeah. it's just, again, it's a living word. It hits mm-hmm. you new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Chris? Well, <clears throat> to go along the idea of, like the first five books of the Bible, I think it's interesting because we can get really head knowledge about all of these different books of the Bible, especially when it comes to the Old Testament, where we're maybe even more historically removed from what was going on, and there's a lot of symbolism, and, you know, we spend time in seminary, you know, getting all of our our systematic theology in order, and the thing that's really stuck out to me in those first few books of the Bible is, like, man, God is constantly just trying to care for people, Mm. and a lot of times when we think about that type of care that God has for us... Mm -hmm. We turn immediately to Jesus for great reasons, but it's just interesting that the blueprint of all of that can be found throughout Scripture, especially in the parts of the Bible that are often mischaracterized as some sort of angry God until you get to the New Testament where God turns nice in the form of Jesus. No, it's, you know, rereading this and re-listening to it and helping different words get emphasized through different voices has really Mm -hmm. kind of demonstrated or highlighted that aspect of it. For me also, it's, it's in that same vein, reading it in context, reading, reading these texts in context. So mm-hmm. often we just look at each individual puzzle piece mm-hmm. one, yeah. one at a time. Mm-hmm. But stepping back and seeing, oh, that's again, I'm reminded again, that's where this story fits in with the whole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how the, and that really deepens our understanding mm-hmm. of these things. For instance, we're reading through the book of Acts, and we're going to dive deep into that mm-hmm. here for the rest of this episode. You know, you start to trace the missionary journeys of Paul in a whole new way. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, he's in Ephesus. So when we read Ephesians, we get a little better sense of out of Paul's adventure comes his theology, comes what yeah. he writes in the epistle, the, the later letter. Oh, now he's in Philippi. Now he's in Corinth. And it, now next week he'll be in Rome. And so we start to see, okay, this is the whole thing really does fit together. The dots are connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Going then to the book of Acts, why did the first century church gather for a meeting in Jerusalem? And what can the 21st century church learn from what they decided and how they handled their disagreements? Ah, man, this is great. Um, as I was reading through this repair, one of the things I, I noticed for the first time was that there is a group that kind of stirs up trouble and, and everything's going along fine. And then all of a sudden, it's like, Oh, there's a group who's not happy with all the Gentiles just joining wholesalely. Well, well, Paul will have none of this kind of sideways sniping. So basically, he just appeals, let's go clean this up with the leaders, and we'll do this in public, and we'll reason it out. Right. And so one of the things he does is he, he, he's not a big fan of back-channeling mm-hmm. or power moves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then the result is it's out in the light. People who have diverse opinions can argue it in a nice, reasoned way, and then the folks who are the leaders then take all that conversation, pray about it, and come to a conclusion. And, and, and instead of a big, nasty mess where everybody's fighting, yeah. you know, they have unity. Yeah. Hmm. They do. The, the, the issue is really, we can boil it down pretty simply, mm-hmm. uh, there's a debate amongst some of the of the. Uh, religious folks of of the time, they're mm-hmm. looking at who really belongs 
in the Christian family? Who yeah. has a seat at the yeah. table? Yeah. And they use circumcision as, as the key, as this, this law of Moses tradition. And they say, well, if you're not circumcised, in other words, if you're not Jewish, if you're not a descendant of Abraham and Sarah, if you're a Gentile, you really don't get to come in here. Yeah. There's, there's texts that point us to that over and over and over again. You know, Some taught, chapter 15, verse 1, that unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. Eight verses later, Peter says, actually, in chapter yeah, 15, yeah. verse 9, actually, he says, there's no distinction. Mm-hmm. There's no distinction, which will certainly align with what Paul says later. In Christ, mm-hmm. there's neither Jew yeah. nor, nor Gentile, Jew nor yeah. Greek, uh, slave nor free, male nor female. This is really important. This is a key point in, mm-hmm. in Scripture where we start to look at, okay, who is Jesus for? Yeah. And then we start to apply that to ourselves today. And, and mm-hmm. where do we as Christians today make people feel like they don't belong? Yeah. And you know, now we're opening a whole different can of worms. Although this is – go ahead. Um, this is interesting. This is not the first time this controversy has been brought up in Acts mm-hmm. because they had to go to the Jerusalem Council for Cornelius – and then at services, um, many people theorize Romans, the book of Romans is written to address this problem in Rome, obviously in Galatia. And so the idea of who is allowed in, mm. pe- there are people who want to draw boundaries, and then there's Paul who will not have it. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's just this idea, too, of we're, we're talking in what, what you said made me think of this book we're going through in men's ministry, Mark Baker's Centered Set Church, mm. talking about how you can be a church. In the, there are plenty of churches that have said things along this line, but wells versus fences, mm-hmm. right? The You can have the well in the center that keeps people there, and that's yeah. the main focus. Uh, or you can have the fences, uh, the boundaries of which it's easy to distinguish who is in and who is out. Mm-hmm. But what Jesus constantly was looking to do is is recontextualized in this case, as we're seeing um, at this point in Scripture. Uh, I'm actually for everybody because I'm being the well. Yeah. Um, it's about the fact that I'm here, not the fact that those boundaries are there. We read in the Gospels how far Jesus is willing to go to make sure that everybody's invited. Mm-hmm. We'll read later in the New Testament that it's God's will that everyone would be saved. We know not everybody is, but that is God's will. God wants us to, and he gives us the freedom to reject that. There's a, there, I think there's a temptation for Christians today. I, I, I see it all the time. So Peter gets up and he talks about his experience. Yeah. He says, you know, some people are saying... Um, a lot of religious people are upset because Gentiles now are coming to faith and they're, they've got a seat at the table. They get to come to the well, to mm-hmm. use your analogy, Chris. But Peter says, but here's my experience. I mean, we just read about it in Acts 10. Mm-hmm. I was hanging out with this dude named Cornelius, a, a Roman official, and all of his people, not one of them is Jewish, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And my, my group, you know, Peter is saying that was with me, all Jewish, were amazed Mm-hmm. So they have a bit of a prejudice, yeah. <laughs> you know, first yes. of all, and that wall needs to come down mm-hmm. and it needs to become a well because that's the way the Bible lays mm-hmm. it out. Mm-hmm. Not because, oh, we just want to be inclusive for the sake of inclusivity or, sure. although that's not a bad thing. I mean, right. that, we want right. to be nice for the sake of niceness. Yep. Nothing wrong with that. But our motivation is deeper than that. Our well is deeper than that, to use your analogy again. It's Jesus. It's in the Bible. And then Peter sees it. And now Paul's going to see it. Because Paul, who's the most zealous of all Jews, he says, mm-hmm. is not sent to the Jews. I mean, he starts in synagogues and he starts by preaching in those places when he goes to any new town. 
but eventually he says, I guess I'm for the Gentiles. Yeah. You know, oh, what a surprise. Yeah. God has a sense of humor. I do think in the world today, there are, there are some Christians, just like there was in, in this part of Acts. There are some Christians today who say, well, this group of people can't be saved. And what do they base that on? They base it on the same thing that people were basing it on in, in Paul and Peter's day here in the book of Acts. Well, they don't do the right things. They don't say the right things. They don't have the right behaviors. Mm-hmm. They don't vote the right way. They don't see things the right way. You know, what, whatever that right mm-hmm. way is. But the Bible has a real problem with that view. Yeah. Yeah. Because all, all of a sudden, we're basing it on us. Now my salvation depends on me. And that's really what we're getting to here in Acts 15. The language is used. You can't be saved if you don't do such and such. Yeah. And the Bible blows it out of the water. It says, actually, you can yeah. Now that's radical. That's mm-hmm. that's going to change everything. I, I hear people today say, "Well, if you're Roman Catholic, you're Lutheran, you're Presbyterian, you're you're not Pentecostal enough, you're too Pentecostal. Whatever it is, you can't be saved mm-hmm. because you're this, or you can't be saved because you're a Democrat, or you're a Republican, or you're on the wrong side of history, or mm-hmm. I'd rather be on the wrong side of history than the wrong side of God. But or you, you got the wrong view on some social issue, or you're mm-hmm. a sexual sinner. That one gets thrown out a lot. Yeah. You can't be saved because you're a sexual sinner." Your problem is not with like people who disagree with you. Your problem's with scripture, if yeah. that's where you stand. The Bible's very clear on this. There are no winners if we base salvation on following the law instead of relying on grace. Legalism is a dangerous game and it's not biblical. Acts are the experiences that lead to the grace that Paul's going to write about in the rest of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It's got to be grace. If mm-hmm. it isn't grace, and this has been my experience. Acts 15, 11, then Peter says, we're all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Folks, it's in the Bible. Our salvation is only going to come by grace, not because we're not this or that or whatever it might be. We're only going to be saved, all of us, by God's grace. And so, yes, should people change? Should there be repentance? Of course there should. But what leads to repentance? What does the Bible say? Kindness. Mm -hmm. Grace leads to repentance, not Mm -hmm. condemnation, not legalism, not hatred. That only leads to a false insecurity and division and weakness in the body of Christ. Yeah. I I relate that back to the first question of like what has stood out or surprised me throughout reading the Bible. It's Mm -hmm. just there are a few main themes. Grace. (laughs) This being one of them. (laughs) And you could point to a lot of these stories that all point back to teaching that same thing. Uh, one of the the big fights uh, in uh, Reformation theology was about the order of salvation, and it's interesting. This is where we Lutherans are like the weirdos. Yeah. Um, everybody else has it where first you have to realize your sin, then you have to feel contrite about your sin, then you have to repent, and then you make a decision, and then you're saved. That's, that's a lot of gotta do's. That's a whole lot of gotta do's. I can hardly remember them. And it isn't in the Bible. That no, way. no. It's interesting. Is the the Lutheran reformers flipped it on its head and said. First, you're saved, and as a byproduct, you'll begin to rethink your thinking, which is repent. Your life is going to change, and and, and transformation is going to happen, which means that it's saved people who start living different, not people live different to get saved. Mm. And and so the idea of excluding people ahead of time is just, again, like you said, it's not biblical, and it's it's goofy. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't... It doesn't make sense, but, you know, as you were talking about all of these 
problems that people have, we're really grateful for God's grace when it's extended to us. And we're very <laughs> not excited when it extends mm-hmm. to whoever those people are. Mm-hmm. Like, even as I say that, like, whichever one you think of, yeah, that one, mm-hmm. um, that we're, we're, we're really good at wanting that for ourselves yeah. simultaneously. Like, they, we're like, oh, but them. Mm-hmm. Grace saves us, but it doesn't save them is, is our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it ends our temptation. All of us. And if we're going to be honest, me yeah. too. That's our that's that's where we are tempted to default and to fall back into. But if God only saves and fills those who are sinless with love and grace, with His blessing, with His inclusion, with His salvation, if if God only does that for the people who've earned it, guess what? That's not grace. Right. Grace by definition means you didn't earn it. You right. didn't deserve it. You didn't do the right thing. You didn't pray the right prayer. You didn't go through the right formula. Salvation actually happened before that. It happened when you heard the good news and believed it. Uh, and that is consistent with Jesus. That's consistent with what the apostles are experiencing in Acts. That'll be consistent with what we read throughout the rest of the New Testament. Are we saying it doesn't matter that people live a, a sinful life? Of course it matters. God doesn't bless sin, and we will teach and preach that too. But we got to get the order right here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Salvation yeah. only comes by grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, Luke reports in Acts 16, verse 5, that the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. What fuels church growth then and now? Well, it's funny because I think when you look at the way that church has grown over the years, and I mean church with a capital C, like all of Christendom, there's a lot of different formats that exist uh, the you know than used to we use guitars now we have our our mm. rigs of synths and our uh, we use video clips and all of these different elements. The temptation is to think that because church looks aesthetically different than it used to, that there's some different driving force behind it. Right. Mm. And here's the thing: I can get on board with that to the extent that some people will be brought in by different methods that we're willing to, tr- willing to try. Yeah. And we've unabashedly said we'd be glad to try some things. You sort to of define to hope there, yeah. 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 But, but the important thing is, is that any actual, that's not actually church growth. That's people stop by, stopping by to see it. If we're talking mm-hmm. about people who have come to faith, the same thing that grew the church during the Reformation mm-hmm. is the same thing that grows church here at its very core, which is to say an encounter with God that changes lives. The thing that actually matters instead of like, wow, Mike did a great job this weekend or like, wow, Jacob is so good at singing. Like, you know, all of those things are great, but it's when people experience some sort of change in their lives, that's when the church grows. And it kind of doesn't matter denominationally. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, the contemporary versus traditional Mm -hmm. it's god speaking through all those different methods yeah most Mm -hmm. those are secondary and they're certainly when they get confused for primary we get in trouble right yeah richard what do you see one of the things that that occurred to me is where uh paul and timothy travel from town to town delivering the decisions reached by the apostles and elders well what was it god's for everybody and so uh, once again it uh it goes right back to your point is the thing that energizes the churches is, and, and again, these are probably places with large Gentile communities, is God's forum. Mm-hmm. This, yeah. we, we are not repeating an exclusive club. It isn't for God's so love the world that, that he wanted to create the few, the chosen, and the brave. You know, yeah. It's like, 
I mean, I, I think, again, of the exodus, I mean, literally God's people leave Egypt kicking and screaming, hardly qualified. And begging to go back. Yeah. <laughs> it's fascinating to me that over and over again we read about, and the church grew, and mm-hmm. the church grew. It's mm-hmm. often at the end of a lot of these stories. And we've experienced a lot of that at Hope, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Uh, and so we kind of know how that feels. But I would say there's a consistency to what causes or what uh, leads to to the growth of the mm-hmm. body of Christ mm-hmm today as it was back in the time of Acts. There's there's a lot of transferable principles here. Maybe the one that I think is worth adding to everything you guys are saying, and it's not really adding to, it's just, it's just amplifying some of the things you've already pointed to. It blows me away how spirit-filled and spirit-led the church is, mm-hmm. how the power comes from the Holy Spirit. This yeah, is really yeah. the acts of the Holy Spirit, not so much the apostles, as you were saying right, right. before. It really doesn't, it's really not about the us, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not about Paul or Peter uh, or Priscilla or Aquila or it, those are the characters. And yeah, they have a role, but the power comes from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so I think if a church really wants to grow, there's going to be a humility, there's going to be a surrender, there's going to be a you know, we're not so interested in seeing where we can take this church. We'd really like to see where you can take this church, God. And then on top of that, what I love about reading through Acts is the teamwork aspect. Yeah. yeah. So secondarily, we are called and we are involved and we have to answer that call. Mm-hmm. But that's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, of, of the church, that we all have different gifts. We all have different uh, passions, opportunities. You put those things together and you say, okay, you know, I'm looking around the table here. Emily leads and directs and handles all sorts of things in ways the three of us can't even come close to. Richard, I mean, you're like this ridiculous, religious, nosebleed high IQ teacher. Mm -hmm. Chris, you're like little Richard in a lot of ways, you know, (laughs) I mean, and, 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 and so personable and so good with people one on one. All of us have different gifts in different ways. That's all over the book of Acts. Mm. And that leads to church growth, too, is when we allow people to be like, well, you don't have to be great at everything. Mm -hmm. We just need you to be great at what you're great at. Mm -hmm. And then do that in conjunction with, not in competition, but in cooperation with Mm -hmm. the rest of the body of Christ around us. I mean, the people who are producing this podcast, could any of us do that? Uh -uh. No, No, we could not. I mean, the... The, the social media part of it, Kelsey's sitting right over there. There's no way no I can way. do those things. The body of Christ is better. The church grows when yeah. we recognize yeah. and champion and um, you know lift that up. And then finally, it's back to what we were saying before. It's a focus on grace. Yeah. That leads to church growth because that's what the world is dying to hear about. You uh, noted all of our gifts. I'd like to acknowledge that you have some as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, a few, a that's few. kind. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at eating. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's working well. Luke tells us about Lydia's key role in starting the church in Philippi. How do these verses alongside others shape our views on infant baptism and women as church leaders? Well, let's just go. You know, let, <laughs> yeah, let, yeah. as long as we're talking about all sorts of topics, we've already covered repentance, sexual sin, salvation, legalism. Mm-hmm. Let's just dive into infant baptism and women in leadership. Oh, heck yeah. Um, yeah. Is this me? Was I supposed yep. to start? Okay. So go. let's go. That's it. There's no way around it. If we're going to read the book of Acts the way it's written, women lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, is, mm-hmm. there is no restriction. There's no boundary there. Mm-hmm. You say, yeah, but there, I, can, I can point to a text later in the New Testament that says women ought not to speak in church. And so, therefore, 
that should be the rule for all of us. That is such a lazy interpretation of, of Scripture. And talk about taking a puzzle piece out of the puzzle yeah. and not seeing the whole picture. Put it back in the puzzle and look at the whole picture. Because mm-hmm. the same person who wrote that appointed people like Lydia, uh, like Phoebe, uh, like Priscilla, to be leaders in their church, to re- and, and no other names are listed in a lot of those cases. It's not uh, like Lydia was the assistant for the man, or 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 that. All we hear about in Philippi is Lydia. This she's the yeah. only one named. That that's it. So she's running it. She's got it all together. She's the one who's leading the church in Philippi. There are other examples there. So we have to conclude either Paul is contradicting himself. But Paul's too smart for that. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. more likely, and what we believe is he's saying in particular contexts, when women are disturbing the church and causing them to get distracted during worship or teaching, women ought not to speak because in this particular church that is happening and it needs to stop. In the same way, I'm sure he'd say men should stop yeah. talking if they're distracting people from the gospel. Because this is the guy who champions and lifts up women, not just one or two, right. but mm-hmm. a whole line of yeah. them. So that's the that's the women in ministry part. So a lot of churches, Hope is one of them, do not put restrictions around women who are called to be leaders in the church or even ordained pastors in the church because it's in the Bible that way. Yeah. Uh, and then there's infant baptism. Who wants to take a swing at that one? I teach I teach a lot of our baptism classes, so I can I can go at this one. But um, one of my favorite things to say about this, and maybe this takes a, to a super, here's your existential crisis for the day. Let's do but it. God, so I have a three and a half year old, Joanna. She is great and a lot and so three currently. <laughs> uh, oh man. But uh, God knows Joanna. I know Joanna, I think as well as any living human. Sure. God knows Joanna for everything that she could ever do and ever choose to do in her life. You know, I believe that Joanna gets to choose to do um, her own things in her life and she will make choices for herself. God knows her not just for the choices she could make, but that she will make and knows her as the fully formed person that she is. Then you get to, so I, I give all of that preamble to say then for us to go, hey, so for baptism, let's just wait until we're comfortable God entering into her life where she's able to, you know, I mean, because we're such learned adults Mm -hmm. that we're so much closer to understanding the majesty of God. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm I... We there, we have a lot of years at seminary at this table, and none of us are closer than Joanna in any measurable way mm-hmm. of being Amen. able to yeah. Yeah. understand the majesty of God. Mm-hmm. And so to to say that she needs to get not even measurably closer before we're comfortable with God entering into her life mm-hmm. through baptism. Mm-hmm. That's often what I uh, the conversations I have because baptism is a thing. You know, we have a lot of different people from different mm-hmm. traditions at yeah. Hope, yeah. and uh, people aren't used to infant baptism always. But that's the thing that I have found is the conversation that's the most helpful. Is mm-hmm. it's a God thing. It's yeah. how God knows us so completely yeah. we can't even imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, Richard. I'm. I mean, in a lot of ways, baptism by its very nature. It makes no sense if it's a DYI kind of thing, you know. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, you've said it all, but, but I think about it um, once again. We, we take a look at God's initiative all the way through. God didn't ask Abraham and Sarah, you know, he just said, come along. Jesus didn't, you know, he said, follow me. You know, the, these were not, well, let's consider this, and if you make a decision, you might. But the other thing is, 
I mean, look at all the models. I mean, it's it's so compared to family. I mean, babies don't make decisions whether they get born to certain parents. Right. Um, and and again, we talked earlier about how salvation works. It's it's the place where transformation occurs. It's not mm-hmm. the thing you have to do before. Right. There's no prerequisite. No. God and, just gives it. Yeah. And it's it's no accident that the two major ways of thinking of salvation after the Reformation, one is I do something and then I'm saved. That's one right. option. The other is God did it before any God decided who's going to go to heaven and who's going to go to hell. Both of them require some kind of proof, either that yep. you're elected or that the decision took. Right. And so hence what you said, why, infra- why adult baptism starts happening because, well, we got to prove that this person actually really is, is either elect or they, their decision took. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and humbly, yeah. I will acknowledge that a lot of the stories in the book of Acts are mm-hmm. adults who come to faith, yeah. they hear the gospel, so God's grace mm-hmm. pours out on them, and then they get baptized. Yeah. And so we do adult baptisms too. I mean, it, it's not like, of course. at least I'll speak mm-hmm. for us mm-hmm. as Lutheran Christians, and I think this is in alignment with a lot of others who do infant baptism, is that it's not that we just think only infants should be baptized. It's it's the grown-ups too. But as we read these stories about Lydia and about mm-hmm. the jailer uh, mm-hmm. later in Acts 16, verse 33 of Acts 16 says, at the hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, meaning Paul and Silas. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Mm-hmm. So the Greek word for household is oikodespotes, and it means the whole of the household, not just the grown-ups, not just the people who are of an age of accountability, which is a phrase that doesn't occur in the Bible. Right. Um, so what the Bible says is that everybody in Lydia's household, everybody in the jailer's household was mm-hmm. baptized. We mm-hmm. have to assume, and humbly, we could be wrong on this, but yeah. we, we're, in only way we could say, well, infants can't be baptized would be to say... Clearly in Lydia's household, in the jailer's household, there were no infants. There were no babies. There were no kids under the age of accountability who aren't old enough to make a decision for themselves. But that's not in the story. They were baptized too. The whole household was baptized. So not just in theology, but in practice, as we read about it in the book of Acts, we have biblical uh, evidence that points to the likelihood, at least. Mm-hmm. can't prove it, but the likelihood yeah that babies and infants were baptized in the book of Acts. So, and if it's God's grace, I had a friend in our church, and we respect people who have a different view. So I have a friend in our church who grew up non-denominational. He comes up to me, because I mentioned baptism in the sermon, and he said, so, you know, I'm just a little unclear on this. Why are we, and you alluded to this, Chris, why, why do we do infant baptisms and other churches don't? Look, we don't want to fight about this. We, right. we respect those other churches. Mm-hmm. Just do your thing. Mm-hmm. But... That's the first thing I said. The second thing I said, though, is like what you were alluding to, Richard, you know, a baby doesn't decide when he or she's going to be born, uh, mm-hmm. and nor do we decide when we're going to be born again. If we yeah. want to use that baptismal imagery right. here, it is, a, it is God's choice. It is God's call, and through the parents or sponsors or whoever brings that baby forward. And then as Lutherans, I'll add this last thing, which is, yeah, baptism's, baptism is God saying yes to this baby. We want that child to grow up and get confirmed. In other words, confirm his yeah. or her faith yeah. in the God who said yes to, him, to when I was a baby. Now I'm saying yes to that God in response to this mm-hmm. grace. Yeah. The other thing that we usually make sure we say in the baptism classes is that um, the prerequisite of someone having a certain amount of understanding or uh, a certain uh, amount of comprehension also mm-hmm. presupposes that only people with a certain amount of uh, mental facility can be baptized. Right. Yeah. And that that draws a lot of really big issues because we do firmly believe that God desires to have an eternal relationship with all of God's 
kids, Mm -hmm. which is all of us. So, you know, hope doesn't draw any lines there. People don't have to reach some sort of head understanding with it because uh, the reality in our broken world is that people are sometimes born with with certain challenges and struggles, and God still desires to have the same relationship with those people as as Mm -hmm. God does with us. I'm glad you said that. We also teach in this church, you don't, we don't want you to use baptism as some sort of insurance policy to get your kids done. It is the starting point. It is the beginning of a journey. Mm -hmm. It is not like, Mm -hmm. okay, you're done now. You got baptized. That's it. You're baptized. It's it's be like getting born Mm -hmm. in a hospital and the whole staff at the hospital goes, okay, well, the baby was born. That's it. Everybody go home. Leave the baby here. Whatever. (laughs) There's no life to live now. Well, you're born so that you can live the life. You're born again uh, so that you can live this new life. Yes. Well, when you think about it, at the center of salvation is, is a living relationship with Jesus. And again, going to your point, where do we get off assuming that a baby can't have a relationship with Jesus? Right. Because babies have relationships with their parents. They do. Yeah. The, the love of the parent is not questioned, nor no. is the love of God the Father questioned for the child of God. Yeah. Uh, we take a lot of themes of questions we hear and write, questions we also take write-ins. And so we got one that says in Second Chronicles, we read about Solomon building the temple with a lot of gold. Does any of that still exist, the gold artifacts? Richard? Um, not to my knowledge. Um, it was a lot of gold, and it's interesting. Uh, we're now in First Chronicles. In, in Second Chronicles. In Second Chronicles. We were in, in First Kings. We got the same thing, and there was all kinds of critique about Solomon's wealth. Yes. First, in, in, in Second Chronicles, not so much. Right. Um, but the point is, critique or no critique, that was a boatload of money. Um, <laughs> and it should also be noticed in, in both accounts that the temple that was dedicated to the God who freed the slaves was built with, you guessed it, slaves. Right. Oops. Um, so that, that also says God uses imperfect people. So I, I don't want to throw Solomon under the bus other right. than to say, and remember, God inhabited the temple once it was dedicated. So even with all the imperfections, right. mm. you know, and, and all the kind of what I'd call over the top kind of thing with the right. gold, right. Um, God shows up. Right. So that and that temple was destroyed too. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. there's, you know, that we have the wall, yeah. uh, and that's all that's left. And I've mm-hmm. been there, and there's no gold. Yep. Uh, yep. I, I didn't see any anyway. Um, yep. If it's there, Off the good question. Thanks yeah. for yeah. thanks for sending them in. Acts 17 verses five through nine tell yet another story of a mob attacking the apostles and causing a riot. How did the apostles and how should we respond to those who hate us for our faith in Jesus? You know, it's funny. We we're talking in Men of Hope this morning about uh, the the number one thing that works against us having a kind of centered set approach where Jesus is at the center versus focusing on the, the fences to keep people in and keep people out. The number one thing is um, just r- righteous indignation. Yeah. And being, f- essentially you can translate it to just people being angry over things. Yeah. And we, you alluded to this earlier, but here's the thing. You can be right. You can be 100% correct that someone has done wrong, that someone has done something that is not in Scripture, that has lived their way in a way that they shouldn't. Now, all of these different things. You can be right and 
you can, it's not a question about who is right and who is wrong. The question is, how are we as Christians going to respond to it? Because mm-hmm. you can be right and mad about it, or mm-hmm. you can react as Jesus did. And so the, the, Mark Baker, the, the author of this book, talks about uh, the number one thing to counteract that indignation mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. compassion. Mm-hmm. It's a completely opposite um, focus of where instead of focusing on what people are doing, we're looking at what people are carrying. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and, and moving from that place. And so trying to move to a place of compassion, when we talk about people hating us, they don't hate us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the, if you think of somebody that makes you frustrated, it's very rarely about that person as an individual. It's about what they respond to, uh, the, the, what they represent to you. So just trying to move your, your framework to a different perspective is, is essential. And it's a choice that we get to make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. And I think that's so important. In Acts 17, starting in verse 5, here's, here's where this comes out. And it's not just here. There's a riot in Ephesus. There's, there's, uh, James gets killed. There's all these imprisonments. There's all these threats. And the reason the threats are coming is because the religious establishment, much like they were with Jesus, is feeling threatened. Mm-hmm. And so they, they threaten those who are threatening them. And that right. kind of gets to what you were just saying is change the way we think about these things, which is the biblical definition of repentance. Right. Uh, but here in verse 5, it's Paul and Silas and Jason. You know, Not everybody knows there's a guy named Jason in the book of Acts, mm-hmm. but there he is, kind of heroic too. Uh, and so they're thrown in prison. And you know, so we read about that and... While we're, in, as American Christians, not thrown in prison for our faith, there are times when it's really socially awkward to be a Christian, when sure. it's difficult and the haters are going to hate, as, as they say. Um, and I think when that happens, it's important to take a long view. Yeah, That's what I get from the apostles. So when, when Paul was threatened, he didn't back down. In fact, in Ephesus, he's like, let me in. You know, I, yeah, I, yeah. I want to help my people um, who are being rioted right now. But they wouldn't let him go. Uh, when he goes to Jerusalem at the end of our reading for this la- for this particular week we're in right now, there are prophets who tell him, "Don't go, don't go, don't go." Mm-hmm. And he says, "Well, I got to go because God's telling me to go." So mm-hmm. you know, prophetic words are important. We need to hear them, but it doesn't mean every prophet has the exact right word from God mm-hmm. in every moment. And Paul's like, "I'm going to overrule that, and I'm I'm going to keep going." Yeah. So what I love about that is Peter, Paul, uh, all of them keep going. Because they're taking a long view. They're like, look, what's the worst the world can do to me? It can, it can hate me. It can mock me. It can make fun of me. It can criticize me. Mm-hmm. It can come after me in some way. And, and then what happens? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm still with God forever. And that yeah. long view, I yeah. think, is really important. Oh, man. I, th- I think also um, the word compassion for me is a really, really big word. Because you talked about all the reframing mm-hmm. rather than what they're doing is what they're carrying. Mm-hmm. And... You know that usually when people are reacting violently, they're terrified. Yeah, and, and you know, and I think of you know the study that is done on so many families when when one spouse gets sober, often there's a divorce because the change is so radical. You, I mean, you would think rationally that everybody'd be very happy at it, except it, it so rewrote the rules yeah. that everybody gets stuck in lizard brain, or as we learned, the downstairs brain, <laughs> and 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 just gets reactive. Yeah. Um. And so Christianity really rewrote the rules. It does. Mm-hmm. Anger is easier than sadness, too, yeah. isn't it? Or grief yeah. or, mm-hmm. or even fear. Yeah. And so if we can just suppress that and push toward anger, then you know, we, we even justify our lashing out at other people. But there's a, there's a point at which, 
uh, I think, number one, we should expect some pushback uh-huh. because what we're proclaiming does not fit with the mainstream of this world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then number two, take that long view. And finally, as a part of that long view, there's going to be a time where we have to dust our feet and move on mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. say, well, and that's in Acts too, mm-hmm. just as it is with Jesus uh-huh. sending out his apostles to say, go out and do this in the Gospels. There's a point at which if they aren't going to hear your message, mm-hmm. all right, well, um, it's still, the door's still open, you know, but... I'm dusting off my feet, which is symbolically saying, I'm just going to let you be, and mm-hmm. I'm going to move forward. And I'm, it takes two to fight, and I'm just not going to fight. I'm yeah. just going to move on and bring the gospel somewhere else then. Yeah. Yeah. I think you do your part, but it's not yours to do. Like, that's oh. God's work in their life right? Mm-hmm. to hold on. We're the well. farmers in the field. We're not, we're not mm-hmm. the ones who make the seed turn into corn. Also, I don't know if you intend to do this, but your consistent plugs for men's ministry have taught me if you're a man, you can you should keep be a man of hope, right? This. During the week, Chris. And Listen, you said it, not me. Let's just acknowledge. <laughs> Pastor Mike says you should be a man of hope. Yeah, that's just what he says. But I think it's important when we do get pushback. Also, and the men of hope are learning this from you, Chris, that we don't just dust our feet off and quit. Mm-hmm. We're not a holy huddle. We're on a mission from God. Mm-hmm. We we that is not an excuse to stop. Yeah. We just go elsewhere to, to look for a place where maybe the seed can be more fertile. Sure. Well, and you being the person that you were made to be, and in men's ministry case, you know, the, we use the phrase all the time, being the man that God made you to be, that that doesn't actually have anything to do with somebody else's impression of you. No. Mm-hmm. So it's, sure, it feels bad. So acknowledge that it feels bad. Yeah. It's yeah. okay yeah. to feel mm-hmm. bad if somebody says something mean at you. Nobody likes to be Nobody criticized. Nobody likes mm-hmm. to be criticized. But don't put don't don't give that more weight than it's supposed to okay. that that tell that's some information that you have about a way that you are perceived from that person and if anything it's probably giving you some information about things that they're going through as well as you said richard whenever the, the spicier somebody gets towards you the saltier how whatever metaphor you want to use the the harsher that somebody gets that's speaking from a place of either fear or hurt themselves so don't let your own mm. offense let you uh, put blinders on from where God might be able to actually show through their criticism of you something that you can help them through. That's great. What does Paul's brilliant evangelism strategy in Athens teach us about leading the deep thinkers we know to consider the claims of Christ? Oh, yes. Richard, you're a deep thinker. Um, Yes, he is. there's, there's several things that are very cool about this. Um, And I, I don't know if I've completely landed on some of them, uh, but I'll just kind of do a, a quick narration through. That's probably the easiest like way it. to unpack that. So Paul has got time on his hands as he's in Athens waiting for people. And so he's walking around, viewing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And he goes to the marketplace, which is kind of the place you kick around all kinds of ideas. And he starts kicking around ideas. Mm-hmm. Some people get curious and invite him for further discussion. And so he's kind of, and this is where I'm not sure, he could actually be being put on trial here because the phrase strange new ideas may actually be illegal. Mm-hmm. So depending, so this could be everything from just a bunch of people kicking it over coffee and beer all the way to is this guy going to wind up in jail? Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not quite sure, but it's how he handles it. Yeah. And the latter actually might be more interesting because how does Paul process something under pressure? And the first thing he does is he finds common ground. Mm-hmm. He, he looks, okay, what's their operating system? What's their grid for making sense of life? And he says, okay, you guys worship many gods, and I found one that, that you kind of have very generously reserved for the I, we don't know section of, of our philosophy. To an unknown god. Yeah. 
And, and so he starts out by finding common ground, and, and he postures himself as an ally, helping them go further rather than an adversary who's confronting them. And I think that's good. You know, and, and that, that's huge. Again, this also goes to the whole haters thing we're talking about is... It does. Yeah. I mean, you know, most people, you know, mean well, and often they're trying to do the right thing the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And so whether they're going after you or they're curious, if, if I can say, okay, let me find some places where we can talk together about this, and then if I can expand your field a little bit with some ideas... And, and, you know, again, there's some limits to this, but how, how long can I continue using your framework to proclaim the truth of the gospel before I have to go bouncing out of it? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, again, going back to what we've been talking about, a lot of people aren't sure there is any, any place in other people's frameworks to talk about Jesus. You know, so you have to dump your culture if you want to, you know, to, to love Jesus. You have to dump your community if you want to love Jesus. You have to dump your sets of how you think about your country if you want to love Jesus, and on and on and on. And all those are kind of Jesus plus things. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and rather, I'd like to say, you know, God, you know, St. Saint, Saint Augustine says all truth is God's truth. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's the truth in your culture I can start with? Common ground. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. find it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and being able to use uh, what people have have been blessed with, we alluded to this earlier in a different question, and, and, but a part of this conversation has been that God uses each and every one of us in our different gifts. And if if that's evident anywhere, it's all throughout Acts that like Paul is the, has the exact skill set to be able to get him from the place of mm-hmm. being able to uh, to to stay alive partially, um, but also you know his language skill his ability to know scripture, to do all these different elements. I mean, just it, we should take heart in that. It's it's almost like a cheat code sometimes in the gospels when Jesus is there just to perform miracles. And you're like, well, yeah, if you got a miracle worker, that's great. But Acts is, is this great story of God using people, flawed people, exactly with their skill set to, yes. to accomplish God's. Yeah. yeah. Paul's no that's intellectual worse. slouch. And so he's no. finding common ground with these Greeks who are known for their philosophy. Right. And, and he's just brilliant. It's just a brilliant evangelism story strategy for us mm-hmm. still today. Find common ground and and then build from there. Later, Paul will write in one of his epistles, I become all things to all people for the sake of the gospel so that mm-hmm. I might save some. Yeah. This, he's living it out in Acts yeah. 17. So yeah. again, puzzle pieces start coming together. It's like, oh, where did he get that? Probably from Athens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What do you want our listeners to catch in the story about Paul's ministry in Ephesus when it comes to business, prestige, idolatry, and God? Yeah, briefly, uh, he, he writes this in verse, Luke writes this in verse 27. Paul is saying this. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm sorry, it's not Paul saying this. It's the people who are against Paul. And so this Demetrius guy stands up in Ephesus, which is a really cool town. I've mm-hmm. been there to see the ancient ruins. And he, he tells everybody, look, here's my problem with the Christians, the followers of the way, like Paul. Mm-hmm. They, it's, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. So he's going after it. He's saying, look, I, you know, everybody teach their own, have your own religion. But if you get in the way of my business, yeah. you get in the way of my income stream, mm-hmm. you're, if your Christianity thing gets in the way of the prestige, of the reputations, of our traditions, uh, of the things that we bow down and worship, don't you come here and challenge that stuff. Yeah. Well, we have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have to because 
Paul is pointing these people to the way of Jesus Christ, a better way that leads to a deeper truth and a more abundant life. So I think in a nutshell, and then we can get to our last question, it's God first, above all, even above business, even above prestige, even above traditions, even above our reputations, even even above what our culture is known for in Ephesus in that time. Um, that's hard. And this is why yeah. we get pushback as Christians. This yeah. is why we get haters. Yeah. Because the message we share is not always going to conform to this world. Yeah. yeah. What does Paul's farewell speech to the Ephesians in Acts tell us about what was most important to him and what motivated him throughout his life as a faithful missionary? As I'm looking at that text here, I'd say one thing is he, where he says in verse 20, I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. Mm. And, and and so preaching, he, huge. He, he is a proclaimer. He wants the word out. He doesn't care at the expense of his comfort and ultimately at the expense of his life. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and well, what is it he's preaching? And that is to turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And again, it's interesting. That's both head and heart. The turn... I love the way he takes turn to God in repentance is where he's grabbing the Hebrew word, which means turn back to the path of life. And, and then repentance, he's grabbing the Greek word, which means and rethink everything you've ever thought about reality. Well, and where does it all center? Trust Jesus. He knows what he's doing. And this goes right back. In other words, if you begin to, to trust Jesus, not only do you begin to trust somebody, but you're trusting his wisdom, which then reorients your compass which means you're going to rethink everything. And, and, and this goes right back to the Ephesians, is what was the real God in Ephesus? Not Artemis. It was the almighty drachma, or a dollar. Yeah. You know, the, no EUs, but no euros back then. Um, and, and so it means then, if, if it's all about the economy for me, then turning and repenting and having faith is realizing the dollar isn't going to get me very far. And that's just it. It's not just, oh, well, Christianity is getting in the way of business or, mm-hmm. or income mm-hmm. streams. There's nothing wrong with business and income streams no. until it conflicts with the gospel, no. until it conflicts no. with a relationship somebody could have with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so if we worship our money, yeah. if we worship our income, if we worship business, mm-hmm. and, and we see this, we see this in different ways. We say, well, it's too important for, for the economy. It's too important for business. There's some things that are even more important than that. Yeah. And, and that's hard for the world to hear. It's hard for our culture to mm-hmm. hear. Yeah. And I realize saying that is going to make me a very unpopular person. But I've been saying that for 30 years around here consistently because, mm-hmm. like Paul, I'm trying to say, I'm not going to shy away mm-hmm. from preaching what mm-hmm. needs to be preached and teaching what needs to be taught. Mm-hmm. Not like I'm some bold, courageous, Pauline-like you know, mm-hmm. figures getting thrown mm-hmm. in prison. Mm-hmm. But the worst thing is going to happen to me is I'm going to get an email or, or, or something <laughs> like that, right? That, that's about as bad as it gets. So I'm not, I'm not equating what mm-hmm. we do with what Paul does. But there's, there's something going on here that I think is worth noting. And the mm-hmm. reason money shows up all over the New Testament is because it's such a threat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's such a tempting God, small g, mm-hmm. that gets us distracted from the real God who actually can give us life. Well, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like if people have their need, people need to have their basic needs met. They need to sure. feel safe in order to, uh, in order to hear anything else, right? Mm-hmm. In order to process to a, to a level of like uh, faith, ultimate reality, all those types of things. Mm-hmm. The problem with money is that it can indeed address issues surrounding the hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. So there's so much fear associated with it, and because mm-hmm. money is so powerful, mm-hmm. something that's really interesting is you see even from the beginning of um, coming back into the city, uh, you see 
Paul facing a lot of the same issues that Jesus did. Right. Of uh, we would assume in a fairy tale understanding of the world that you know, well, you know, Jesus died to defeat this system, and then Jesus arose again, and so the the system of sin and death is dead, and and then everybody changed. But then all of a sudden, you see the same exact systems that that are meant to preserve power and wealth are still alive and well uh, when when you see these first mm-hmm. Christian leaders mm-hmm. yes. walk through the city. And mm-hmm. I just think that that's really, that's really instructive because God was in the world in a physical form of mm-hmm. a human being, right. died and defeated death, and it still wasn't enough to get people to give up money and power. Okay. And so if, if you want to... If you want to know just how much of uh, of a draw that is, that's it's really important to note. Right, Paul's not Jesus, but he really gives us a faithful example to right. follow here as Christians. Mm-hmm. Verse yeah. thirty three of Acts twenty. Here's how Paul puts it in this farewell speech. He says, "I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing." Next verse. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Paul's probably pretty wealthy. Yeah, he's yeah. a he's a successful tent maker. He mm-hmm. makes tents and yep. he sells them for an honest price and he does well. Mm-hmm. So Paul's not anti business. He's uh-huh. not anti commerce. He is a businessman. Mm-hmm. He he has a retail business. You know, he sells tents and makes yeah. them. But what he's against is worshiping business, worshiping right. money, making it the main thing. This is a tearful goodbye, too. Paul yeah. realizes, I'm getting toward the end here of my ministry, that things are winding. I could be killed at any time. He knows that mm-hmm. because of what he's saying, and he won't relent. That's also a faithful example for us. Again, we're not called as Christians to find our holy huddle and just say, look how deep we are, because we, we, we don't have any of those new Christians around here. We just, we just have our deep group of people, and we just go into our stuff, and, that, and that's our thing. Yeah, but that's not the New Testament. The New Testament means you open up some empty seats and you make some room and, and on, to go out on a mission and to invite those people to come and be a part of God's kingdom. Paul is, you said it so well there, Richard, at the end. You know, he's, he talks about in verse 21, repent, turn to God, faith in Jesus. Those are the keys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Verse 24, let's wrap this episode up with this verse. Paul, Paul sums it up here. This, so it's kind of emotion. You can almost feel the emotion yeah. in it. Yeah. My life is worth nothing to me, Paul says. Last, last words. He says, I probably won't see you again. He says, I won't see you again. Yeah. These Ephesians he's been doing ministry with for three years. He's been hanging out in Ephesus. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. Yeah. What is that work? The work of telling others the good news, the gospel, about the wonderful grace of God. So here again, consistently in the New Testament, we're pointed back mm-hmm. to our mission, which is not find a holy huddle that you're comfortable with and consume spirituality. It is to share the gospel with people who don't know it and don't believe it and haven't heard it. That's why we're the church. That ultimately is our primary mission. Yep, we need to also be a church that makes room and, and it provides places where people can consume and, and grow and, and understanding and all that kind of stuff. But primarily, that's for the sake of mission. Yeah, yeah. That's for the sake of going back out there into the world um, and, and not just saying, well, once I found my church, my little holy huddle, you know, however big or small it is, that's all I really need. Mm-hmm. No, what the church is, as we read about it all throughout Acts, is what mm-hmm. Paul is saying. It's the work of telling others the good news, the gospel about the wonderful grace of God. Yeah. And it's grace. It's got to be grace. Mm-hmm. Only grace is big enough to save us. And we get it because, by definition, we don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And it's for you. God's grace is amazing. It's for you. 
Man, this was fun. Mm. This was a great conversation. I have a feeling once we uh, say goodbye, we're going to keep going for a little while at least. (laughs) Uh, But you are always welcome to join us again. We'll have more next week uh, and every week, Wednesdays at noon. Share the podcast. uh, Tell the world. This is your mission. And invite people to church too, whatever church you attend. And if you're in the area, find a Hope Church near you, Lutheran Church of Hope. We are at your service. God loves you. God loves you, God's love you, and his, his grace is amazing, and it's for you. Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform, and we'll see you next time.